Hi, I'm Chelsea, the host of Crime and Crime Again. On my podcast, I cover lesser-known true crime cases. I tell the stories that you may not have heard before. Join me in bringing light to the stories of the missing and murdered, and being a voice when their own has been silenced. You can find Crime and Crime Again anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Bailey, welcome back. Welcome back to you and to all of our listeners. Hello, guys. This is True Crime B&B, and we are on... Episode 31? Three. Episode 33. <laughs> you, you told me this right before. <laughs> Episode 33. Are you, are you having memory loss? This today? whole weekend has been a shit show for my brain. But once again, this week, we're going to do a twist and we're going back to you being the good guy. No. No, I'm not going to be the good guy. <laughs> You're telling lies. You're okay. confused and telling lies. I'm going to be the good guy. <laughs> Mom is going to go first with a bad story. I actually am going to go first with two bad stories, That's but right. they're both pretty short All right. bad stories. Today, I am presenting two really bizarre, but not funny bizarre, sad bizarre okay. murders. Because... When you get to the end of them, they're just absolutely stupid and senseless, and somebody died for no reason. Okay. So the first one took place in Shanwei, in the coastal southern China province of Guangdong in 2017. This is a city of nearly 3 million people, and since it's on the coast, there's no more room for it to keep expanding outward. So back in 2012, a mandate was passed that required all people from Shan Wei to be cremated after death rather than buried in order to save land. Alright, that makes sense. This upset some of the locals because traditionally, Chinese funeral rituals are complex and there are many levels of ritual, including the type of funerary dress based on the relationship to the deceased, rites that are dependent on the age and marital and social statuses. These rituals typically last about seven days before they're really complete. Alright. The traditional rituals also end with interment or burial, and those who are very traditional feel it's a disrespect to their loved one to have them cremated if they wanted to be buried in the traditional way. Mm -hmm. Five years after the cremation mandate went into effect, a wealthy patriarch of the Huang family died of cancer on February 19, 2017. Mr. Huang had been a very traditional man, and it was known by his family that he strongly had preferred the idea of burial over cremation. Mm-hmm. Probably they could have legally buried him just not in Shanwei, but his family decided they were going to bury him in Shanwei. They were required to turn his corpse over to the crematory to prove compliance with the cremation law. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but in this story, only the surnames of the individuals were provided, so I can only call them by their surname. So the brother of the deceased man, also Mr. Huang, mm-hmm. made contact with a man named Dai, D-A-I and told him to find a suitable replacement for his brother's body so they would be able to send that body to the crematory but still have his brother's body that they would actually then bury in the traditional way. Oh no. Exactly. Dai went to his colleague named Wen and they talked about how to accomplish this task. I'm sure they thought of how many different options would they have. Could they steal a body, etc. They decided to go to yet a third man who is confusingly also named Huang, but not related to the family of the deceased man, and they tasked him with obtaining a suitable corpse. The Huang family was willing to pay 107,000 Chinese yuan, 
or 16,300 US dollars for the substitute corpse and didn't offer any suggestions on how it could or should not be obtained. On March the 1st, 2017, Huang, the guy they asked to find the corpse, yeah. went driving up and down the roads of the city of Lufeng, which is about 30 miles northeast of Shanwei. And he spotted a man who was picking up recyclable plastic bottles along the side of the road, which he normally would then take and sell to recyclers for coins. This man was 36-year-old Lin, and again, that's his surname. They didn't give a given name for him. And he had been born with slight developmental disabilities. Huang struck up a conversation with Lin and convinced him to get into the white van that he was driving. Huang had also bought six bottles of Baiju, which is a potent distilled grain alcohol, which kind of sounds like moonshine to me. Mm -hmm. And he got Lin to start drinking the Baiju and then forced him to keep drinking it until he passed out. Huang then drove the incapacitated Lin to another location where Dai and Wen had arranged for a coffin to be ready. Huang managed to get Lin into the coffin, suffocated the unconscious man, and then nailed the coffin closed. He covered the coffin, containing Lin, with leaves and branches so that it wouldn't be found by anyone, and then he contacted Wen. He called him and told him that the coffin was ready to be collected. Wen then arranged for the coffin to be picked up and delivered to the local Shanwei crematorium on March the 3rd. While all of these things were happening, the Huang family secretly went through the seven-day traditional funeral rituals and buried their patriarch's body in an undisclosed location. After the cremation of Lin was completed, the brother from the Huang family picked up the ashes and casually dropped them off at a local public cemetery with no marking, no identification. Since they were unidentified, a caretaker buried them in a mass grave with other unidentified cremated remains. In Lufeng, Lin had been reported as missing, but it was two years before what had happened was uncovered. Investigators checked traffic camera footage and saw Lin being coaxed into the van by the murderer Huang. Mm. Through license plate numbers, they found Huang, and he was arrested in November 2019. Huang received a death sentence for the murder and spilled the beans about all the others involved in this crime. He appealed the conviction, stating that he had not killed Lin, that Lin had died of a sudden illness while he was drunk. I guess on some level, there's some truth to that, but that's not what happened. But if you were not in the picture, he would still be alive. Yes, and that's exactly what yes, it comes down to. Huang told the judges, I saw Lin unconscious. He had drunk himself to death. He claimed he had then driven the man to a nearby mountain and put him into a coffin. As opposed to saying, hey police, hey local officials, I found this man who had drunk himself to death. So clearly that's not what happened. Or you would have reported him instead of just sticking him in a coffin yeah, somewhere. Yeah, who's like, oh, I found a dead body. <clears throat> And I get it if you're like, he's still drunk. Maybe you take him home and put him on the couch so you don't get him in trouble or something, you know, but he's, yeah, you don't, he's dead. Not, you don't <laughs> nail him into a coffin. God. The judge obviously rejected this appeal, saying there was no evidence that supported this appeal mm -hmm. plea. Wen, who has since died, claimed that he and the Huang brother had no idea where the murderer Huang had gotten the body they had sent for the cremation. Mm -hmm. Neither the brother nor either of the metal men received any punishment because the court considered their crimes to be minor. Well, if not for them, none of this would have happened and Lynn would still be alive. I'd be curious as to where they thought that a dead body was going to come from. Well, maybe they thought they were going to grave rob or something, which is still shitty, but it's less 
shitty, debatably, but... <laughs> yeah, but you'd have to grave rob someone who had just recently been buried. And, True. And they can't bury anybody, so nobody mm-hmm. should have recently been buried. Yeah, I don't know. Mrs. Lin, the victim's mother, filed a civil suit against the murderer, Huang, but dropped the suit when they settled out of court and he agreed to pay the family 70,000 yuan, or $10,700 in damages. So the poor guy, Lin, just a simple man out collecting bottles for spare change, and he got caught up in this insane scheme. It's just maddening. And they couldn't even pay the family back what they were paid to do this? They confiscated the money that Huang, the murderer, Mm -hmm. was paid, but they didn't confiscate the money from the other two middlemen. So, Doesn't but the family right. didn't get that. It went to the courts. Yeah, it's awful. That was a maddening story. Yeah. This one is so asinine, it, it just enrages me. Larry Doyle Sanders and Jimmy Glenn Knighton had children that date each other. And over the time, the two men had become buddies. Both were 50-something fishermen living in Oklahoma. They I was going to say, yeah. They weren't fishermen for their living. They were fishermen just as for hobbyists. Fun. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes went together to the South Canadian River to go noodling, which apparently is trying to catch catfish with your bare hands. Oh, I've seen that before. On July 9th of this year, Jimmy Knighton drove them to their fishing spot in his Chevy Avalanche. Mm -hmm. And on this trip, somehow, while they were talking, Jimmy said something about wanting to get away from Larry, and he was going to let the Sasquatch eat Larry. And in my mind, I could see how that statement would come out of somebody's mouth as a joke. Uh It it sounds to me like maybe Larry was being obnoxious and Jimmy's like, I'm going to get out of here and let the Sasquatch eat you. Yeah, that's how we joke all the time. Yes. (laughs) But somehow, Larry, who was using some sort of unspecified illegal drugs, got paranoid and panicked that Jimmy was actually going to leave him there and then he would actually be eaten by the Sasquatch. Oh, dear. So suddenly he felt really desperate not to let Jimmy get away from him, and he grabbed onto Jimmy, started punching him, hit him with a stick. They're grappling on the ground for an hour. Jimmy's desperately trying to get away from this out-of-control Larry, and after fighting for an hour, Larry decided the only way that he could keep Jimmy from leaving him there was to kill him and take Jimmy's truck to get out of the woods. So Larry strangled him next to the river, and then he got in Jimmy's avalanche and drove home, First taking Jimmy's body along in the bed of the truck, but then he decided he was going to leave him by the side of the road on the way out of the woods. So Larry then drove to a relative of his house and confessed to his daughter that he had just killed Jimmy because Jimmy was trying to feed him to Bigfoot. The daughter told her mother about this bizarre confession, and since Larry had arrived back home in Jimmy's truck, which now had blood on the tailgate and the driver's side door, the daughter's mother called the sheriff. A machete was also found near the truck, although I didn't see any mention that it had actually been used in the attack on Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Larry just typically carries a machete with him. Well, in fishing, if you're going to chop their heads off or something like that, I feel like that could be useful. But Yeah. So I don't think it was a weapon. I just think it happened to be there. There were quite a few other people at the house when Larry got there, including a relative of Jimmy's. The group made sure that Larry stayed put until the sheriff's deputies arrived to question him. Because of whatever drugs Larry had taken that day, he was really jittery. He couldn't sit still. His story was disjointed. It didn't make a lot of sense. He kept talking about Bigfoot and Sasquatch and how Jimmy was trying to kill him by feeding him to Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. Deputies found out that there was already an unrelated warrant out for Larry's arrest, and so they took him to jail. Three days later, Larry Doyle Sanders 
was being held without bond on the charge of first-degree murder for the killing of Jimmy Knighton, who was described by his ex-wife as just a good old country boy Mm -hmm. and who was distraught about people laughing about her ex-husband's bizarre death. Stacy Kelly said he's not just a news story and he's not just a Facebook joke. He's not any of those things. He's so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm torn when stories like this come out. Yeah. Because no matter how crazy they are or how weird the story is, these are real people who went through really awful things that led to their deaths. And it honestly sounds like the person who did this is probably not mentally all there. I don't know if he had a mental illness or if he was just on drugs and it was causing paranoia. Yeah, it and could have been like a psychedelic he took and he wasn't used to doing it or something. That maybe so. People do weird crap. Yeah, all the they time. did not disclose what he what he was on. Mm-hmm. But all of these people, we need to remember that these were someone's sons and these were someone's father and someone's friends, mm-hmm. and they're going to be missed. No additional information is available about Lynn in the first story because we don't even have his given name. But in memoriam of Jimmy Glenn Knighton. He was born April the 15th, 1970, to Della and Glenn Knighton in Ada, Oklahoma. He had two sisters, Sheila and Tanya. After high school, he opened a frame and body shop and ran it for 15 years. He loved the outdoors, fishing, hunting, riding four-wheelers, drinking beer by a bonfire. He was friendly, big-hearted, and never met a stranger. He left behind four children and eight grandchildren, and he was later memorialized by friends and family a week after his death at the Allen Auditorium in Allen, Oklahoma. Mm. So I just think that's such an awful thing. These two guys go out to spend a fun day together. And something just snaps in one of them. And it's just... And I I have no doubt in my mind that he just made a joke comment Mm -hmm. that the other guy just totally went off the rails about. And it's so senseless. I know. And it's... I, I, I Without knowing more about what happened to Larry that day, I just don't want to make any comments about what a psycho, you know, because we don't know right. for sure. But it's just a shame. And the fact that he's probably going to have that guilt for the rest of his life of looking back and be like, yeah, that was ridiculous. And I did that. Well, and their kids were dating. And so kid, yeah. not only did his daughter have to go through her father now being a murderer, mm-hmm. it's her boyfriend's dad. It's yeah. just so senseless. So much stupidity happened here that caused two people to die. And it's just, you know, yeah. the, the people in the Lynn story, that's just so frustrating. What a selfish fucking thing to do. And it's so hypocritical to be like, oh, I want my dad to have the burial or my brother to have the burial that he wanted. Okay, what if Lynn wanted a different type of burial? Then? I would think Lynn did want a different type of burial. What if he wanted to live? You know, it's so... Yeah. So he lost his life over absolutely nothing. This woman, Mrs. Lynn, lost her son over absolutely nothing. That gained nothing except for those people to have a seven-day ritual that they wanted to perform. They could have performed it with the cremated remains if it was that important to them. Mm -hmm. And And did they have to turn it over, the body over right away? Or could they still have had the seven-day ceremony and then turn the body away afterwards? And then the only thing that changes is how he's buried. That's a good question. Because that seems like, you know, give a little, get a little, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have to compromise sometimes. Yeah, I agree with you. Tell me something good. My story today is not very long either. So we're going to go back to Florida because all of my survivors are in Florida for some reason. (laughs) And we're going to start out with a woman named Joy Partain. Okay. 
Joy was originally from Orlando, where she went to high school, and while she was in high school, she had a high school sweetheart who she ended up marrying at the age of 17. They had a daughter together named Paige, and then things just weren't working out. She decided, I don't really want to be in this relationship anymore, so they decided to separate, and she moved her and her daughter Paige out to Ocala, Florida. Okay. While she's there, she starts making some friends. She eventually finds two female roommates that she moves in with, and she's starting to get a life, gets a job there, and things are going smoothly. She's 21 at this point. She decides to start dating again, and she meets a man by the name of Jonathan Pearson, who is 26, so five years older than her, in 2009. Okay. The two dated for only three months. She took it very slow at first, and then they officially started dating, and then three months later, she decided he was kind of you know, the sweetness vibe was wearing off and he was drinking a lot more and getting more comfortable being his true self in front of her. Yeah. And she started seeing that come out mostly when he was drinking. And there was one incident at a house party she'd gone to with her roommates and her boyfriend where he ended up slapping her in the face. And that was the last straw. She told him, you know what? You have a problem. You need help. And I'm not going to allow my daughter to be around this anymore. And I don't think you need to be smacking people. Yeah. I don't care how drunk you are. So she broke up with him and continued on with her job and taking care of her newborn baby as usual. Mm -hmm. However, a couple of months later, so June 13th, that day she was at work already for the day shift. And then one of her coworkers for the overnight shift called off work. So she found out, oh, you have to actually stay and work their additional hours until they're supposed to get off later tonight. So Joy's panicking because she, her daughter is at home and the babysitter has to leave by a certain point. Yeah, I was going to say, how did they just force you to stay another eight hours when you have a baby at Well, home? she basically told them, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have to quit or something if you're going to fire me because I have a child. And so, in a pinch, she called everyone, her roommates were busy, nobody was home, and she had just moved here a couple months ago. She didn't have that many people in the area to come help her out. Right. So she decided to give Jonathan a call. Oh, God. Yeah. Because Jonathan had always been very sweet to her daughter, he had never showed his ugly side around her daughter. She knew that he had her best interests at heart. And so she was like, we aren't going to be together, we're still friendly, we're still friends, I talk to him still. So she calls him and says, well, she knows you. Can you please just come over until I get off work and then you can go home and do whatever you need to do tonight? And he says, sure. So he meets her roommate. Her roommate lets him in. He's watching the baby. And then finally, at about one o'clock in the morning, Joy finally gets home. As she walks in... And how long has he been there now since... I think her shift was supposed to end at six. And then she didn't end up getting off until 1 a.m. Oh, wow. Okay. So she walks into the building... And it doesn't seem like her two roommates are home at this point. It sounds like they went out for the night to party and then were coming in later. Mm-hmm. So she comes home from her 12-hour shift. 13. Well, 13, yeah. 12, 13-hour shift. And she finds Jonathan laying on the couch, surrounded by liquor bottles and cans of beer, and just passed out drunk. Oh, just that's very responsible. With a newborn in the next room. If there was a fire or something, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. So, of course, she's furious, and she wakes him up, like, shakes him awake, and then starts reprimanding him for drinking so heavily while watching her baby daughter. And so he gets up, and she said he looked like he was going to try to hit her or swing on her or something, so she stepped away from him and told him, you know, just go home, just leave, and basically kicked him out of her house. As she's walking down the hallway to her bedroom, she turns around and sees him leaving the front door. So she's like, okay, good, he's going home, I'm just going to go to bed, calm down, and we'll deal with this tomorrow. Yeah. So she goes and lays down, starts falling asleep. 
And then she was awoken when Jonathan walked into her bedroom, had not left as he, she thought he did. He'd just gone out to the garage, it seems. And he was carrying two golf clubs. Oh, God. And she didn't even hear him come into the room. She was literally woken up to being smacked in the back of her head with this golf club. Well, she was probably dead to the world because she was exhausted. She's exhausted. She's pissed off. Now she's, you know what? It's but I'm over. amazed that a guy that drunk could be that quiet and getting stuff out of the garage and coming back in the house. Yeah. Well, it happened literally within probably five minutes of him mm. leaving. So, I mean, it's enough time for you to be like, okay, he's gone. Yeah. Whatever. But she wakes up again to him beating her in the head with one of the golf clubs, more specifically the driver, oh, no. which is the big thick one. He continued to beat her anywhere that he could, mostly in her head region, until that golf club broke in half. And then he starts beating her, and at this point she knows what's happening, so she lifts her arms up and starts hitting her in the forearms while she's defending her he face. He broke the driver on her head? He broke the driver, like the stick part, in half. That's how hard he was hitting her. Oh my yes. God, how is she not dead? Well, Holy crap. You can actually see pictures. I don't want to see pictures. And oh yeah, she posts them herself. That's why I'm like, you can see it on her Facebook page. She has a group now, but oh. I'll get to that. So he starts beating her with the second club into her arms, and this one is just the putter, so it's thinner, but it's still got a, it's still a metal weapon, you know? Yeah, and it'll cause damage because it's thinner and it's, all the pressure is focused yeah. on a small exactly. sliver. Luckily, at this exact moment, as he's using the second club, her other roommate, Alexa, happened to walk in and heard this going on. And Alexa had been at that party where he hit her. And so she knew his voice. She knew his temper. And she immediately called 911 without even knowing what was going on. So that was very lucky. So she she heard the attack through the the door and on the other side of the apartment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she calls 911 without even figuring out what's going on yet. She just knows this guy is not good. Yeah. He shouldn't be here and this shouldn't be happening. Yes. So then eventually she like bursts into the room now that she knows 911 police are on their way. And as soon as Jonathan spots the roommate and realizes he's caught, he stopped his attack. He completely just like shut down. And that's why I think it does kind of show how drunk he was because he didn't even leave the apartment. He just sat down and waited for them to get there because he was too wasted to go anywhere. Yeah. Obviously Jonathan was arrested (laughs) and Joy was quickly rushed to the hospital. She actually nearly died at the scene just from blood loss alone, but... and and brain injuries. Brain injuries are no joke, yeah. No, they're not. And she immediately had to be rushed into a 12-hour surgery just to put her skull pieces back together, and her face was also had to be redone. Poor thing. Mm Mm-hmm. 21. Jesus Christ. She suffered a total of 22 broken bones and ended up losing one of her eyes. Oh, my God. In the attack. That's horrible. Joy was recovering in the hospital for a total of two months. She didn't even get to go home. This was just to monitor brain activity and everything. And Jonathan, when he was taken in by police, claimed not to remember anything. He probably didn't. That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't, if you were so fucked up that you just fell asleep (laughs) waiting for the police to get there. Yeah. When the trial began, he decided to go ahead and plead guilty because he knew he was. Joyce came to all the trials. She came to the sentencing and everything. And so he got to go up and give his statement during the sentencing. And he claimed that it was all Joyce's fault for verbally abusing him. And he simply snapped and couldn't take it anymore. And so Joy went up with her both of her arms in full casts because she's brutally injured, has an eye patch on, and is standing there like, are you fucking kidding me? So she gets up and said, this is a quote, verbal attacks, 
he was blackout drunk with my baby in the house, you would verbally attack a person too. So on August 18th, 2009, Jonathan did plead guilty to attempted murder and received 15 years in prison. His release date is set for 2023, so pretty soon here. He also got an additional 10 years probation after that, as well as he has to attend mandatory anger management classes. Maybe alcohol counseling. Yeah. Well, hopefully he's clean now that he's in prison, but we know. Oh, yeah, I shit saw goes 60 down. days in. I know. <laughs> they find a way. Well, Joy received lots of help from local domestic violence shelters nearby, one of which was called Help Now Inc. And she began helping them after they did all this stuff. They helped her with childcare and stuff while she was recovering, getting surgery, things like that. I'm so glad she found them. Mm-hmm. Or they found her. I don't know which way it went. Well, I think they found her because she was in the hospital for so long. And so they helped her out a lot. And she recognized that. So she, in turn, after she got better, began helping them by giving speeches and being an advocate for others. Also, she received from help from the place I talked about in my last Survivor story, Face Forward. Which, if you didn't listen to that episode, it's a really awesome nonprofit who does pro bono plastic surgery for people who have been attacked of some sort. Right. They paid for all of her reconstructive surgeries on her face. Yeah, but she still lost her eye. She still lost her eye. However, I will say she does have a prosthetic now, so she looks. Yeah, but. You would know. I mean, put one hand over one eye. Mm hmm. Your vision is completely different. Yeah. It's, it, you can't even have any depth perception. Oh, for with sure. One Her eye. life is forever I, can changed. Can she even drive anymore, you know? Probably not at night, at least. Yeah. But, poor yeah. thing. Just the whole rest of her life was, is affected. By one. Just because she had to take on an extra shift at work and her ex boyfriend couldn't be Hold, responsible for six hours. Couldn't go one night without drinking. It's fine if you want to have a couple beers with the kid in the house, but to get blackout drunk while you're in charge, you can't go a couple hours without doing that? No. Well, I, I understand that alcoholics, once they start drinking, a lot of them just don't have any control over stopping. Mm-hmm. If there's alcohol, they're going to drink they're it. They're drinking until they literally can't lift it to their mouth anymore. But yeah. there, are, there are also alcoholics who can forego it for a night because they know they can't drink today. Mm-hmm. But then the next day, they'll probably be drunk again. Right. But after the sentencing was over, she continued working with all these companies and nonprofits that helped her out and ended up moving her and her daughter Paige back to Orlando. She was inspired by the amazing difference the two foundations had made in her healing process, and so she founded her own called Empowered and Beautiful. Good for her. God, why am I so emotional today? (laughs) Because this is a really emotional story. It's hard because she was so young when she went through that, too. And only date the guy for three months. Yeah. That's bonkers. And it wasn't even a case where he was trying to keep her from leaving him. Yeah. He was just mad that she yelled at him because he was shit-faced with their baby in the house. She was mad that she called him out on his bullshit, and he probably felt some guilt from that and realized, I'm going to take it out on you then. Yeah. Her foundation, Empowered and Beautiful, they used to have a website, but it seems like it got taken down recently. But you can still find them on Facebook if you just search that in the Facebook groups. On that, she shares her story to help others and has also created a community of other people to share their story and get help with different, hey, I'm not from the Florida area, does anybody know a shelter near here? That kind of thing. And she has also, her foundation, partnered with Face Forward to raise money because they do all of the surgeries pro bono, but they can't be in every city. So a lot of these people who are getting these surgeries have to be flown in or stay at a hotel or something like that. Right. 
what Joy's company is doing is paying the additional costs for anything like hotel, for the plane ride. She's even bought a car with some of the money so she can drive them personally if they're within wow. distance that she wow. can. So she's just done a lot. and She's making a difference. And she has a YouTube and a TikTok. If you just search her name, you can find her. She's one of the funniest. What's her last name again? Partain. It's P-A-R-T-A-I-N. And her first name is spelled J-O-I. But yeah, she's very inspiring, and her daughter Paige, I forgot to mention, completely unharmed. She never woke up throughout this whole thing, so hopefully not as traumatic for her as it was for her mom, but... Well, I mean, it's better that she didn't wake up and start crying in the middle of it. That's Who knows true. what he would have done. If he, he already pissed and snapped. He was on a, he was on a roll, you mm-hmm. know, he was just completely losing it, so... Yeah. She's come out the other side stronger and helping a lot of people, so... Yeah, she's fierce. Good for her. Yep. Go Joy. Go, Joy! We've been kind of heavy the past two episodes, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought that mine were going to be less heavy today. Mm-hmm. But the more I got into them, the more heavy they felt to me. So Yeah, and sometimes when you're telling it, it's like, oh, wow, this is heavier when I say it out loud than it when was. When I was reading that information from Jimmy's obituary, I was, I was getting choked up about mm-hmm. it. So we had several new countries this week. And then we also have 45 states. Come on, we still need North Dakota, New Mexico, Vermont, Delaware, and Alaska. Yes, if you have any friends in those states, send them a link to our podcast. They don't even have to subscribe. We're cool if they listen to one episode. We just want to put a pin on our map. (laughs) Oh, and I'm really rooting for somebody in New Brunswick, Canada. Yeah. I love New Brunswick. I'm obsessed with it. We're still missing... Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. and we have one Halifax. New Brunswick. So there'll be yes. Nova Scotia covered. Yeah, okay. we got Nova Scotia. So wow, look at us learning our geography. <laughs> I know my geography actually is getting a lot better. If you don't already follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at uh, True Crime BNB. Yep, and you can always send us an email at truecrimebnbpod at gmail Yeah, we would love it if you could give us a five star rating and a review. Mm-hmm. And we will see you next week for week thirty four. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay. Did I add it twice, or did you actually hit play twice? I hit record, and it played the mm-hmm. meow, and it also recorded the meow. Perfect. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about snot bubbles. (laughs) I'm still thinking about snot. (laughs) Well, you literally shove your fist down their throat. Oh, God. No, that's not not nice. It's not awesome. (laughs) It's not awesome.